it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, good evening and welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School Age Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Okay, and I am David Bailey. Last week, last time we were on, she totally forgot to let me say my name, so I'm a little so a little traumatized by that. So, hi everybody, <laughs> I am David Bailey. I put a note in my my notes to make sure I didn't forget about you this year, dear, <laughs> or, or today. So today we're talking about social emotional learning in light of the events of 2020. Social emotional learning or SEL is how children and adults learn to understand and manage emotions, set goals, show empathy for others, establish positive relationships and make responsible decisions. Because of the roller coaster ride we've experienced this year, experts are adamant that schools must be prepared with solid plans to implement social emotional learning. And let's face it, we adults are having a hard time with all of this too. Don't you just find yourself feeling just a little bit crazy the sometimes this year? I mean, how in the world are we supposed to navigate a global pandemic, social restrictions, questions and conversations about racial unrest, economic downturn, a crazy, crazy presidential election, et cetera, et cetera, all at the same time? So imagine what's going on in the minds of our kids. So David, you're on week two or three? Two and a half. So two, two and a half? Yes. Okay. And so what are you seeing with your students? I am seeing a child trying to interrupt my session right now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey like, I, like I said, this, this is life, y'all. This is life. Doing a podcast from home. Yes, yeah, so... Um, I, um, okay, so it's interesting. So it's been, it's been slowly trying to get the kids for me is just trying to get everyone on, on the screen. So, Hey guys, welcome. Now I know they're listening and they're engaged, but they're hiding behind, you know, the, the, uh, the, the cameras. Uh, so now I'm like, okay, now we're ramping up because we kind of taking a longer runway to get started with uh, our classes. And so I'm saying, okay, we have to get used to, Play on a camera, so then we'll they'll put them on. So like ninety percent are on now, but I'm looking at a ceiling fan, <laughs> or <laughs> or half of a face. I like or one one girl she she pop in. So oh, I see your hair, and then she dart off. <laughs> I see your hand. Oh oh oh, there she goes. And uh, some people you'll see just their eyes, or it's dark like a cave. Um, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm trying to make it so it doesn't feel, you know, because we're coming into their personal space. This is this is their home. This isn't just, you know, being in the classroom. We're coming into their life, in a sense. And we really don't know what we're walking into. You know, sometimes you hear parents yelling and cussing. Sometimes. Yeah, that happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I had a kid sign in. 
he signed in as PP Poo Poo, and we had to say, "Oh no, we got to fix that name." Literally, his son, his name was PP Poo Poo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was PP Poo Poo. I said no, and then I think I know who it was. And he, then he then he took himself off, and he popped, and and another student popped back in <laughs> with their proper name. So it, it's interesting. Um, trying, yes, PP Poo Poo. Yes, <laughs> it took me a while to figure out what you were talking about. Yes, yes, the name. It's like our names are on here. Yes, yes. yes. So anyway, um, you know, it's just I'm trying to. I want my kids to feel comfortable with me. For me, it's been a lot about building the relationships. Now, one group of kids I'm having again because I'm teaching. I teach them for two courses, uh, so they're already you know already pretty loose. Uh, but the new ones, I'm just trying to get them to let me into their life. This isn't just, I'm your teacher. I'm coming like into your life kind of. And, um, you know, some kids, I'm like, man, you live large. Some kids I'm like, you know, wow, this is, you just don't, you just don't know, um, what, what's going on. And so I'm trying to be there, um, and just be there in the best way that I can and support them and just trying to gauge what's happening. You have to kind of discern what's happening and what's not happening. So far, I haven't seen any major red flags, but um, it's, it's been interesting. You know, then trying to teach with three kids and kids trying to bum rush my screen while I'm trying to teach and kind of knock them out the head to get them out the way. And, you know, so it, it's interesting. It's been interesting. You're not actually knocking them upside the head, right? I, I thought, I, my you know, our children. Hard. I, I push. Not hard. <laughs> not hard. <laughs> that, that's good I, I say, Go on, boy. I just push him off the way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, my heart goes out to you guys because, uh, I mean, amidst all the technical issues, you've got, you know, parents being, um, although parental involvement is a great thing, sometimes um, we're seeing that it can be a little disruptive, at least in our experience uh, with um, some of our kids in their classes. Um, and then, you know, just all the emotions of all that's going on. So it's, um, it's you know, my heart goes out to you guys and you guys are doing a great job despite everything that's going on. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so today we've invited experts who teach social emotional learning to students and teachers to give us some insight and tools to help us navigate all of this. But before we go any further, let me just say that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends, Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you're listening to us on Facebook, go ahead and drop us a question there and we will do our very best to get to your question as soon as possible. So let's just jump right in and introduce our guests. So our first guest uh, is actually a friend of the show. She's been on the show before. Pretty Ahuja is devoted to her service as a social emotional learning coach at Dallas ISD, where she provides training and support to teachers and leaders. She is an advocate for healthy relationship management, teacher well-being, mindfulness, equity and inclusion. She leaves strongly in the power of human connection to heal, fulfill and propel humanity to increase our collective consciousness. So welcome, Preeti. Hi, thank you. Thanks Hi. for having me. Yeah. I like the decor. I'm, I'm sorry. Your decor is it seems symmetrical. I'm a geometry teacher. So this is it just looks beautiful, by the way. I just had to say that. <laughs> Go ahead oh, and fess up. So it's a virtual background. Though. Oh, is it? Oh, 
Okay, well, hey, awesome. All right, man. She's living large. Okay. All right. I'd like to welcome Dr. John Gasco. He is the Chief Wellbeing and SEL Officer at Uplift Education. He and his team ensure that Uplift students have access to regular and reliable preventative and supportive mental health practices and also build necessary mental health and well-being practices for the adults who serve students each day. Dr. Gasco served most recently as the special advisor to the president and previously dean of the School of Education at the University of North Texas at Dallas. In his time at UNT Dallas, he founded the Emerging Teacher Institute, which is committed to transforming teacher and school leader preparation through competency-based education, combined with innovative and rigorous clinical and social emotional learning. So um, I work within Uplift, as uh, some of you know, and uh, it's been great to have him here. So welcome. And Aja Simmons is a passionate educator mom. She currently serves as program manager in the Department of Social and Emotional Learning in the Oakland Unified School District. Drawing from her experience as an educator and instructional coach, Aja supports leaders to create the optimal conditions for adult professional learning that can lead to transformational learning spaces for students. Central to Aja's work is an emphasis on equity, identity, critical literacy, and social emotional awareness. So thanks so much for coming on with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. All right. So I talked a little bit about um, social emotional learning at the beginning. Was that a good definition? How would you guys define social emotional learning? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. I think the opening of the show was a perfect model in connection to what social and emotional learning is. It's about, you know, thinking about our emotional state, the fact that we're social beings interacting, and the fact that those skills are skills that can be learned over time. It's not innate. We can actually learn the skills that we need to manage our emotions and to engage with people effectively in school and in life. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would just say, um, this is not a training, so I don't have to give like a proper full definition of SEL. SEL is just life skills. It's everything that's social and everything that's emotional. So it's, it's all the tools you need for the inner and outer work of life. Um, you can't really live without uh, your social identity or your emotional identity um, in a good way. So. So schools are back, or at least they will be back if they haven't been, um, if they haven't returned yet. Um, And they're anxious to tackle the gaps in education that have been created by the closure of schools. So why should SEL be made a priority for schools in the light of what all has been happening this year in 2020? I, I, I would say that, you know, it's fundamental to to be able to engage in, in in SEL at this time because it's really about restoration and reconnection. Um, and for many people, we've become alienated to ourselves. We've become alienated from others. And so really doubling down the gaps aside, really 
uh, social and emotional learning is fundamentally about what it means to be a human being. And mm -hmm. during this time, especially um, keeping that front and center, uh, the fact that we're all human and we have this innate need to know ourselves and know others, regardless of what's going on is super important. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to add that, you know, just in general, I think sometimes when um, it's easy as an educator and um, as a student to, you know, you, you're so focused on the content, you know, that come in, you know, in classroom management and making sure that they're staying on task. But these are human beings that are coming to our classrooms and these are human beings that we're seeing virtually. Um, and, you know, over the years, the stories of, you know, what's going on in some of the homes of some of these kids has been, um, it breaks my heart, you know, and I've seen, I've seen some, some pretty, you know, traumatizing things and, and yet, you know, they're so called to keep up with their work, you know, and then as a father, uh, three myself and coming to oh there's some guy right behind you babe I don't know he's all up on the window too all up on the window oh is he, is he, what's he, is he smoking what's he doing <laughs> you digress no I'm sorry anyway uh wow this is this is so funny um but also this as a teacher you know I we I gave birth to two of our three kids you know i was finishing up grad school when we had our first child so i was that that student you know on on fumes trying to get to the finish line but then also with you know two more kids while being a teacher and you know had a couple weeks off but it's back to life and then i come home and and they're like take this baby you know and <laughs> like a baby I got, I got papers great you know take this baby you know so it just it, it is what it is uh, but we're but we're, but we are human beings, and we have lives. Our our students have lives, um, and we have to take that into consideration. Um, and you know, I think earlier in my career, this wasn't really uh, SEL wasn't really a term that I heard much of, if at all. Um, but the more that we're getting into where we are in this season, that it's extremely extremely critical because we are we're teaching and we're students are learning, but we are human and we're living life like the guy smoking his cigarette or cigar behind you yes you're so funny um so why is scl important this year so in order to learn anything in school people are going to need to be motivated and there's been a huge cutoff in motivation because um, I think, you know, there are three key drivers of motivation for any human being, no matter how old you are. Um, and that is um, safety and connection and pleasure and reward. And um, all of those have been disrupted. Um, I, I hope later we can talk a little bit more about safety and how to build that and what that really is. Um, but we can't teach without restoring some of those levels of motivation, right? So even as adults, like what drives us, you know, do we want to sit and watch a math asynchronous webinar? Um, or do we want to, you know, get on and connect with our colleagues and um, get on a schedule and have some, give, be given some choices and some control, right? Which we've lost. Um, 
And so, yeah, just, I think um, motivation levels uh, are low and there's going to be a great need to activate in those three areas to raise motivation levels. Well, let's um, not, oh, I'm sorry, Aja, go ahead. I just wanted to add really briefly, Preeti started talking about disruption. And if we think about what's happened right now with the COVID situation, we've all experienced a disruption in how we relate to other human beings, right? A disruption in our patterns of relationships. And so um, I think it's really important now to consider the learning part of social and emotional learning, because we're learning again, how to be in relationship in this new context, right? So why SEO right now in school? Because our students are relearning what it means to make those connections, to build those connections in a different environment. Right. And we have to support that and us as adults the same thing. Like I, we, we're relearning how to relate with our friends, our family, how to be intentional. Um, and I think approaching this moment from a learning stance is really important to keeping our um, social and emotional well-being. Yeah. So pretty, you mentioned safety. I don't want to put it off because I don't want to forget about it. What, what do we need to be thinking about as far as um, our children feeling safe and, um, and whatnot? Well, I think you said the key word there, which is feeling safe. You know, no matter how safe we think our kids are or we are, um, it's it's all about how we feel. So if you look at any resiliency survey, it's 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 always going to go on beliefs. I believe that my I believe that during quarantine, um, my mother loved me and showed me care. All right, you know what I mean. So um, it's it's really really based on beliefs, and I think. Um, we don't, we, we think of safety as like physical safety. Um, but when you, when you consider psychological safety, that can come from so many different things. So I was telling you guys before we got on that my kids are back on a schedule now virtually. And, um, there's just that a certainty that comes with that, that offers safety. I know what's going to happen next, right? Um, there's, there's choice that comes with that. Um, you know, I'm going to do this, this, and this for myself today. There's agency and all of that offers a level of safety that I think, um, we don't, we don't think of it as safe. We're, we're just thinking our kids feel physically safe. Also, um, in a classroom community, safety gets built really slowly over time. So when David talked about, you know, kids keeping their camera off, if you think about in the beginning of a school year, when you're getting in a, in a circle to do a community meeting or a morning meeting, you know, they've got their hands put away or their hoodies on, or, you know, they're, they're trying to hide because it's not a safe place yet. Um, and so that's why we start really small. We get, they get their voices in and in a small way, and then it, it, it comes in in a big way. And so there are ways to do that virtually, I believe. And um, that's a lot of our work is how do you, build that safety, build investment from students into the virtual environment, which we're all trying to figure out. Well, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get into that because, you know, my next question really is in what ways is your school district prioritizing SEL, including that safety piece? Um, or in what ways do you wish that they were um, prioritizing SEL as kids return back to the school districts? Don't all answer at once. I can jump in on that. So in Oakland Unified, we have kind of prioritized 
launching the year in relationship. So building relationships between students and families. We encourage teachers to do virtual one-to-one -one visits before they started classroom instruction. We're centering adult relationships, trying to make sure that principals and leaders are thinking about um, teachers not being in isolation and building connections at the staff level. And then really encouraging um, teachers to be in direct connection with families. And a lot of teachers are reporting that they've gotten deep relationships with families much quicker mm. from those one-to-ones um, and from the district really saying, we don't have to launch in full-blown instruction on day one. We really need to develop relationship-centered schools and in partnership with CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, using those tools to say relationships are at the center of everything we do right now. We understand that teachers are in different positions, that students are in different positions. We're all relearning and learning how to do this thing together. And we need to do that in partnership. So centering this new level of partnership between parents and teachers and families, this new level of agency that we need even our youngest kids to have in order to be able to learn virtually. And to say the only way that we're gonna do that is through connection, through you know grace, flexibility, um, and wellness, um, and trying to pass those messages on, not only from um, a communication standpoint, but really trying to push that those things are evident in the way that we encourage teachers and leaders to start the school year. Go ahead, John. Looked like you were going to chime in. Yeah, I like I like what Aja says, and the, the word that comes to mind is you know um, for uplift education. Um, you know we're a network, uh, you know community ecosystem supporting scholars. Forty three schools, and we tried to think about this as building on ramps uh, for our scholars and families, and doing that uh, as we kicked off this the year a couple of weeks ago in a sort of staged way. So I know David as a teacher with Uplift, you know, our first week was spent kind of doing virtual home visits, sort of establishing as, as Preeti said, a, a container of safety um, so that parents could, you know, get positioned for, for how they could support their scholars learning. We, we went super, super tactical in that we um, created a, a field guide um, it was kind of modeled. When I grew up as a kid, my dad was in the army and he used to have these cool manuals and you could like open them up and learn how to camp and stuff like that. So our network built this field guide um, that really drilled down into how we were going to structure SEL activity every single day for the first three weeks of school, which we call Scholar Leadership Academy. And so I'd love to hear from David how it's going, but one of the things our district did in an unprecedented way is basically the first 90 minutes for the most part of every single day is all about how to appropriately welcome scholars um, and, and then build uh, social and emotional well-being and competency um, by focusing on uh, what we call the Uplift Five, um, which, as Aja mentioned, is grounded in some of the work of Castle, but we've added something that I think is really important to recover if we're to be successful during this time, and that's physical education. So movement mm -hmm. is a big part of what we think we need to do. And so kids, you know, have to get out the issues in their tissues as they begin school. So mm -hmm. again, at Uplift, we really tried to be tactical and planning a lot of things for teachers so they didn't have to do a lot of work. 
Um, and, and, and so right now we're in the middle of that and we'll, we'll see how that goes. So do you guys find that this is, so we have, we have listeners all over the United States, all over the world. Your schools are implementing SEL, I think possibly in an um, unprecedented way. Do you guys, as you guys are talking to other people in other districts, do you find that this is something that's out of the norm for schools to be doing? I honestly wish that, um, I mean, Aja and I are connected and thus us being together here today. Um, districts, I don't know. Um, John will have to chime in here. I, I wish there was more collaboration, at least at my level, uh, with people in other districts. Um, we seem to just not just not connect. And it, it might just be because of the momentum of the work right now and the unique needs in every district. Um, but as far as what is normal, and these are Aja's words, you know, every, every leader is a new leader this year. Every teacher is a new teacher this mm. year. Every parent is a new parent and everybody, um, she articulated it so well last time we talked. Um, so it's really a, a great chance for us to kind of, this is what, what I think is that we, we really have to take care of the child's whole ecosystem, right? Um, and I, I, I like all these traditional things. It, it takes a village to raise a child, right? So when leaders are thinking about what are they going to do to get kids excited to come to school on the second day of school, I'm asking, what are you doing to get teachers excited to come hmm. to school, right? Um, and and caregivers and parents, you know, we also need to feel like we belong. We also really need that sense of trust when we drop off our students for, for places that are going face-to-face -face or when we're making the decision to let them sit. You know, my daughter sits seven hours a day in front of the laptop. Um, so I have to have some level of, of trust there. And so I think just, just thinking about the, the health of the adults, the health of the teachers, um, doing things like well-being surveys for teachers, for parents, for students, um, and really tapping into what their needs are is super important. Of course, everything is for the kids so we can really hold their hearts, but um, we can't do that if we're not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, I'd like to add some uh, insight with this. So um, in being candid, so John, when, when you came on uh, to Uplift, uh, we have an internet you know, site of you know, announcements and he came up and said, we'd like to welcome our chief well-being officer. And I, I'm like, oh, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> oh my God, I, I don't even know what that is. Uh, oh well, keep on going. And then, uh, then he came to our campus. And guys, first of all, you probably can tell by his voice, he has a very, he's very soothing. So, you know, and he came and spoke to our staff, and As he should I was be. just like, oh, oh yes, wow. I mean, I almost, I almost was like, it's just relaxing, and you know, uh, he could tell me a bedtime story, just doze off, you know. Uh, but then when the pandemic hit. And we were home. Then I realized how cri absolutely critical his role was. 
Mm. Um, unfortunately, I, I had class every time. Uh, he, he would have these weekly calls with just teachers. Um, and we jump in and basically just say, how are you doing? How are you? I couldn't make it because I was always teaching and I was always so mad because I missed every single one of them was out of class every time you had it. But it allowed teachers just to check in because, you know, many teachers, their world was rocked upside down just because of, you know, we're shifting to, you know, teaching in different ways. Maybe teachers are taught in the past and, you know, the sickness is floating around and, and he was just a sounding board. Um, and, um, and then I, on, on Outlook this morning, I saw we have yoga at seven in the morning. Who knew we have yoga? We have yoga at seven in the morning, and it was on my Outlook today. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. No, here's yoga. Who has yoga for teachers? So I'm just saying that it's it. I'm realizing like, well, now I mean, not like now, now, but that um, this role. I'm thinking every single organization should have this role. Um, it's so critical um, just to make sure that the people that are serving um the communities that they serve and, and in our context students are taken care of because when we're taken care of then we're in a position to um take care of our students and within any organization as well so um i thank god for your for your role um i'm very very grateful um that um our organization uh made the decision not even knowing that this pandemic was coming but it's so so critical um and i'm seeing now i'm i'm like i'm on board i'm totally sold in now and this every i think every organization should have this role Aja. yeah i just wanted to jump in and say you said that very critical and simple question how are you right as leaders as parents as teachers we can be thinking really deeply about what to do in this moment but sometimes it's in the simple things like asking your children, how are you? Mm. How was school today? Asking a colleague, how are you? And just being present and open to listen because lots of things are happening. And that question brings deep connection. If someone is genuinely interested in just how are you? Not because I have an assignment for you, not because I have a bunch of tasks for you or a new curriculum for you, or I wanna give you your list of chores, but because I just wanna know, how are you? It's a powerful tool as we parent and as we engage with our colleagues to, to just really be fully present for each other. Yeah, that's good. I, I think, um, I don't know about you guys, but when I ask people, how are you? Everyone says, I'm fine. <laughs> the lion. And, and you know it, and I'm like, I, I know my kids are not the only ones struggling with anxiety right now. I know I'm not the only one that's just drowning with everything I have to do and just being out of normalcy. Um, and so there's, I just wanted to say there's that too. It's, and I think, and then again, just coming back to safety, Ajahn, when you're talking about with colleagues, um, I, I was on with, I've been working with one school for most of today where we're the professional development is with parents and teachers together. And it's really just, just talking about all of this self-care and things that we need to do to fill our buckets as adults so that we can um, build that safety for our kids. Because sometimes um, we don't want to hear the answer of how are you? Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to handle that uh, or teach them how to really be authentic. Yeah. And I, I think that's, 
critical to say that because that is SEL, right? What SEL is, education for too long has been about what happens from the neck up or the crown of the head to the neck. And, you know, especially during this time, SEL is all about peering beneath the waterline uh, to see what's beneath the surface and giving that an opportunity to rise so that we can recognize it and heal it no matter what it looks like. Well, let's start getting into some of the nitty gritty of that, because, you know, I just as a parent um, am dealing with, you know, my own emotions, but definitely the emotions of my kids of just feeling disappointed in different things. Like my son has been looking forward to football since January and he's not going to be playing football. We're not they're going to be doing virtual all year. And then, you know, you have the meltdowns and then the fatigue because they're online all day. So my question is, what do we as parents? parents do to help our children manage their emotions that they're having around all that is happening here? What are some tips for us? I'll start. One of the things I've been doing with my own kids is like, is just like making sure I'm investing the, the time, you know? So uh, as somebody who, where it's easy to get lost in work, uh, I've made their development um, my work. Uh, and so with my, I have a daughter and a son, uh, an incoming freshman in high school, my son, my daughter's going to seventh grade. And one of the things that I've been trying to practice with them is helping to create a, a common language in our home around emotion. Like, and so at, you know, uh, my colleagues will recognize this term, but we use, we do an emotion check-in at the Uplift every day for adults and kids, and we're using that in my home. And so like expanding my son and daughter's vocabulary about mm. what are the different kinds of emotions and feelings, um, there's power in that naming. And sometimes we we get together and have like morning meetings. Um, that term's gonna sound familiar just as a family. And, and we haven't started school yet. And so creating you know, safe ways to acknowledge that right now our emotions are leading us. They are driving us. I like to say that where your focus goes, all of your energy flows. And it's often the case that our focus and our emotions are intertwined. And so really being intentional with our, our kids at home around expanding their vocabulary to talk about emotion, to name it safely and as it arises, and then giving them tools and how to process and deal with it, I think is key. Hmm, that's so good. My daughter is five. And so um, one of the things that I find really critical is managing my own emotions um, and just modeling for her what it looks like for me to manage my emotions because there's so much going on. You turn on the news and I'm in California and the state is burning and mm -hmm. lots of things are happening on a daily basis. And I'm still trying to be a good mom. I'm still trying to support schools and work my full-time job and support other members of my family. And sometimes that's frustrating, right? But I cannot move forward acting like grief is not present, fear is not present, that I don't have moments where I'm about to pop my top. I have to be really self-aware and then show my daughter what managing my emotions looks like particularly when my tone changes because my daughter is an empath and she's really sound sensitive. If my tone changes, she's like on high alert. <laughs> and I have to acknowledge that like, okay, mommy's tone, I'm gonna take a minute. I'm gonna let's let you go in your room and we're not gonna even deal with this right now. 
because I need to bring myself down to equilibrium in order to have this conversation with you. I think it's really powerful to be self-aware and to give yourself the grace to say, okay, everything is not cool today. I cannot ignore this pandemic situation and just proceed. And then I cannot take my emotions out on my five-year-old child because I'm going to be modeling for her bad con emotional control. Mm -hmm. So I think acknowledging, being honest, uh, apologizing is a big thing for me, even apologizing to my daughter. When I know yesterday, I may not have had that reaction to something you did, but today my reaction was over the top, if I'm honest. And I need to go back and say, mommy, sorry, that was too much. That was too loud. That didn't work. You didn't deserve it. You didn't see it coming because that was about me. It wasn't really about what you did. And let's talk about it and let her say some things back to me. And I know, you know, this is not how I was fully raised, but also giving her that same grace. Because the other day she told me to stop telling her what to do. Okay, we're in a <laughs> pandemic. We've been stuck in the house together. You hear me all day. You haven't gotten to hear your teachers or be with your friends. So today me telling you what to do is too much. I'm not going to pop off on that today and correct you. I'm just going to give you a break for a moment. Then later when we come back and sit down, we can go back and say, now, what was that about? And why did you say that? And, you know, I'm here to support you and help you tell you what to do. But in the circumstance, I'm like, man, we've been together with no breaks from each other for a Every long day. time. Maybe Every you're just day. a little bit sick of me telling you what to do. And I'm going to give you a little bit of room for that to be true. And then say, that didn't break our relationship. It didn't break how I view you as my daughter. We can sit down later and talk about that. But in this moment, I'm going to let you go in your room because the circumstances are different. And I want to make room for her to be able to express her emotions without learning from my reaction that emotions are to be suppressed and there's no room for them. So I think that's self-awareness and modeling and then just making some space sometimes for our kids to have some emotions and then develop the tools to be able to manage them. I can hear some parents. I'm sorry, I jumped right. I, I see your mouth open. I'll, <laughs> I'll get right back to you. I can hear some parents saying, uh, but my child is not going to talk to me like that. And then we're going to, you know, that's going to just start us down a, a, a wrong path. What's your, what's your answer to the head rolling that I just did right there? With, with, with the head chucking. I, I right, right. Chucking <laughs> I mean, that's why I prefaced it by saying, you know, I'm that parent as well. That would be like, wait a minute, where are we going? You just five years old. How are you? But this is a lot. Like you didn't get to go to school. You haven't seen your friends. It's just me and you, you don't have any siblings. So I kind of understand how my daughter's context has shifted, mm -hmm. right? And you trying to move around the house and not be stir crazy. You haven't got to play with your friends. And today, you, me telling you that last thing I told you to do, you weren't, you just weren't ready for. But it's like, I know her, I know who she is. I know she's not disrespectful. And I know she just said something. And so given the circumstances, I'm saying, if I want her to give me grace when my day is not good and I just, you know, cause sometimes we do, if we're completely honest, we take things out on our, on the people in the house with us mm -hmm. that they don't fully deserve and are not ready for. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that goes both ways. And in order for me to model that and for that to be true and for me not to make her think, okay, we're in a pandemic, but you're supposed to be happy all the time. 
<laughs> we're in a pandemic, but you're supposed to never have an attitude. We're in a pandemic and you're supposed to never be sad. If my reactions to those emotions, I may never say that, but in my reaction, I'm saying that. That's so if good. I'm saying, stop whining, be quiet. Why are you talking to me like that? It's like when I'm my unspoken message is there's no room for your emotions in this pandemic and in this new situation. Right. And, and I, I would that's dangerous. And I, I keep reminding myself that this is temporary. We're not gonna be in the middle of a pandemic forever. I'm not going to ruin my children by, you know, allowing them to speak to me in a way that they normally wouldn't under the circumstances. Um, you know, we we probably don't have too much longer before we can, you know, find a vaccine or find some way for us to get back to a little bit of normalcy. And so, you know, giving them that grace, I think, is is very important and appropriate. Pretty, go ahead. I want to echo everything that I just said, because there's so much there are lights shining now on all of our patterns of interacting and ways of being with each other and they don't work in this context and mm. these are patterns that you know we've developed over so many years they're not easy to get out of at all um but i think one really powerful thing is um learning and understanding um, what has happened to our brains and our bodies at this time, and also teaching that to children, because um, what has happened is that we are, again, those three things, safety, connection, pleasure, and reward, those are all disrupted, and we've become unrooted, um, and that, for that reason, where our windows of tolerance are very low for adults and for for children. So it is not the time for, I love throwing my husband under the bus, for my <laughs> husband to say, you left the lights on again. Um, you know, you, you, you really should do that virtual math class. You know, you're gonna get behind. You really should try it out. And it's just, it's just not the time. Like they're already in their amygdala and then we're throwing more, we don't think of these things as threats. We want the best for our kids. We're, we're gonna do everything we can for them. But some of those things are, are adding pressure and adding stress, and they can um, kind of re-traumatize, re if you will. Um, and so really, I think uh, for us, we've, we've been examining our patterns, how passive aggressive we've been in our home. Like there's a need for everyone to advocate for themselves at home. <laughs> Mm -hmm. My husband and I was sharing the office, you know, the, some, some patterns and ways of interacting are just not going to work anymore. Um, not for our kids and not for us. And like you said, Donita, I hope all this stuff is going to maybe blow over soon with the pandemic. Um, but I don't know. I hope some of this, I hope some of this learning that our family is getting is going to stay with us. And I think it's just an opportunity for us to stop let our egos down. And when our children are disappointed and hurt, let's, let's treat that like they're physically hurt. You know, um, mm. that, that helps me, um, to empathize, mm. you know, when our children are physically hurt, we're not like, Oh, she's just manipulating me. She's just, she's wanting this, or she's wanting that, or, you know, we don't go there. We, we go and we help them out. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish we had time to get 
uh, more into the neuroscience and brain science of everything, um, because I think that that's really um, important to know, because you mentioned the amygdala, which I don't remember what that is, but (laughs) there's a lot going on in our brains. And we do have a couple of episodes where we um, invited a neuroscientist to talk about um, some of what's happening in our head or all of what's happening in our heads. And so I encourage you guys to go back and um, listen to those episodes because it might give you a little bit of insight into how to deal with yourself and your children. Um, did anybody else ha- want to chime in right there? Okay. I, uh, I, I just want to say how critical physical movement is during this time and like up until now, whenever I've worked out, it was always like a solo thing. And, you know, I did my workout and my family wasn't a part of it. So we've been doing family PE and it's been like awesome. Mm. So, you know, really understanding like how my kids like to move their bodies um, and then doing that with them has created a really powerful way to build relationship and connection. Um, and, and so now, you know, m- my kids can't, you know, you know, for example, get screen time, uh, unless they, they have committed to like their, their own chosen, um, physical movement practice. So I don't care what it is, but mm-hmm. you've got to do something. And so my daughter will skateboard. She'll go for a walk with somebody that she feels safe with. Uh, my son will hit baseballs and golf balls and run. Um, so making physical movement a part of the, the family conversation has really helped us accelerate our well-being during this time. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get a little bit into um, some of the social aspects of what's been going on this year. Um, one of the questions I wanted to know is that you know, certain groups have been more adversely impacted by the events that have happened this year, you know, with the racial injustice and the financial downturn. Um, some families have experienced COVID. And um, what should we, what should students need, what should we be teaching our students um, as parents and as teachers about equity and empathy? This one is so complicated. I know. <laughs> I'm like waiting and looking to see who's going to jump you in. You first. One, right? It's, I mean, I think it's so complicated and just in terms of how we should approach this moment. But I think the, the, the thing not to do is ignore it, right? The thing not to do is not talk about it at all. I think starting with just helping our students understand how they have been impacted by what's going on or how your personal family has been impacted, what is meaningful um, to your family in this moment and starting there before we um, move on to talking about other groups. Because I think that that self-awareness will help students to engage in conversation when they realize that things are different in other, other places. And right, if you're really equity-minded, I think that conversation has to be really honest right? If you have been affected negatively, our students are feeling the lack or the lack of technology, the lack of resources. Um, I think we can have those kinds of conversations with our students and we can advocate, we can teach them to advocate, to ask, to say, here's what I'm doing at the school. 
to say, this is, this is what I need from the system and really helping them to express how they feel. And on the other side of that, if we are sitting in places of privilege, we need to talk about that as well. We need to have the conversation. We have this, um, we have this going on because of this reason. Uh, we need to be honest about, you know, I think his some historical things, we can't ignore what's happening on the news. Our kids see it, they hear us talking about it. And then I think making sure that schools, if I talk about it from the place of school, first of all, this conversation can only be had in a place where belonging has been established. Mm. Because if you're not careful, you can cause unintended harm by starting a conversation because it feels like something you want to do, but you haven't established the proper relationships in community with those students. Because when you open up this conversation and you get raw, uh, you get the raw student reaction. If the community is not ready to dig in, you can cause more unintended harm, right? So I just think starting with having these conversations at home with our own children and starting personally and then going abroad and then making sure that we are holding the system accountable to doing right by our kids. So like if I, for my child, for my nieces and nephews, as a parent, I want to make sure I'm showing my children that I'm holding the system accountable for doing right by you. If there's tech to be had, we're going to get it. If there's not tech to be had, we're going to advocate for it. We're going to do all of those things because this is not about something that we don't have. This is about a system that is not, that is not um, treating people the same way. And we want to be able to advocate. I think that's where to start. Um, just as a parent, if I'm speaking from a parent's perspective, is hold your school accountable to doing right by your children and let your children see you doing that. Mm. And then have some honest conversations at home. From the perspective of, of a teacher, do your homework before you start having these conversations <laughs> with kids. Don't just walk in, turn on the Zoom and jump in. Get prepared. Think about who's in the space. Think about how you're going to hold the conversation. Talk to somebody about it so that you don't do um, uh, unintended harm because you really weren't ready to open this can of worms because you hadn't done your work first. So we all have to make sure that we are critically self-aware and we do our work first. So good. I think that, um, Aja, that is critical. You know, um, teachers are going in and processing this with students, and that's why I think it's it's critical that they process it first as adults in their community, mm -hmm. um, and they learn how to how to talk about this stuff. And when we're talking about children, you know, children are so much of who they are, and 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 all of us here, we were we were children, right? And so we we all also have these internalized messages and so when you have um, certain identities that are living in systemic oppression and constantly having questions about do I do I matter do I belong uh, will I be targeted will I be unsafe right um, it gets back to that neuroscience of always living in that unsafe space which doesn't allow our kids to then really come out and fully be themselves and 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 bring themselves to their learning um, without you know 
without that safety and dignity that their school or teacher is supposed to be providing them. Mm-hmm. Um, often, I think it's it's the case that teachers may not have the conversation or may kind of just like we do with emotions sometimes just kind of shut that we're just gonna we're just gonna put that away we're not gonna talk about that that's not my job as a teacher I'm just here to teach you you know and so again the context is different we can't do that anymore you know um we really do have to learn to be teachers again and learn to be parents again and and learn to be Americans again and you know I think that our country is so divided in so many ways right now you know we've got the masks the no masks we've got people who are distancing and people who are socializing we've got black versus white you know black lives matter versus blue lives matter and all of those things and i i wonder how our children are going to navigate some of these rifts and divisions um it's a little more difficult to, to, to not address these things in a virtual environment, but, you know, eventually we are going to get back to school and that's for that's sooner for some districts than others. Like ours, ours starts in person, I think next month. Um, and so kind of how can parents help kids navigate some of these rifts that have come about in the last five or six months? Oh, can I uh, go ahead? Can I have a little bit of insight here? So, um, back in the springtime, you know, uh, I teach algebra one and geometry. And so um, when we're, we're just trying to process what's going on and what is this virus and who's it impacting and um, how can we be safe and, you know, what are we going to get back to school? And so I took it as an opportunity to um, use it in my lessons, um, particularly um, just tracking the cases and us being able to get back. And so we were just introducing, if you recall, from algebra parabolas and, and we were diving into that unit anyway. So it was, it was like perfect timing. And so we, we talked about, you know, um, what makes a parabola go higher and what makes it go lower, what makes uh, the, the curve go longer. You know, and then look in the news, they're talking about flattening the curve. And so... I tried to tie it into not just this is just math, but this is real life. Um, then we talked about, you know, so what what may impact us getting back to school before the end of the school year? And um, we, we just used those, okay, so how would this look on this graph? Uh, then, you know, me, I have an economics background. So, you know, I talked about supply and demand and pricing and using slope. And, and so I tried to make it, um, not just academic, but show that like the, the relevance of what we're studying, even in mathematics course, has a direct correlation to what we're seeing in the world. And um, so I want, because I want them to get an objective look at it, um, because right now emotions are high, and people, as one people may have one argument this way, and someone has an argument that way. But I said, okay, let's just let's just look at it from a mathematical standpoint. And let's observe what's going on. Um, I think for teachers, um, whenever possible, to to if you can within your subject to tie it into what is coming or you know what's coming around the corner, so that they can see a correlation between. It's not just we're not just in this academic bubble of notes and problems and reading, 
but that there's real life happening out there. I just hit the microphone. If I did, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's real life out there with real things going on. And even though we're in we're in our you know right now our virtual classroom, that there's relevance in what we're learning, and that we can tie it out there. But let's take a look at it as we learn and grow, but also observe. You know, hopefully the purpose of learning is not just to take a test. I always tell my kids that all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm out here just to prepare for a test. I want you to see how this ties into real life and be able to make real life decisions um, based on what you understand as far as your foundations in algebra and geometry. Uh, so you know, for teachers, I think it's, it's critical whenever we can um, to objectively look at things and take a look at both sides. You know, and then based on what we know and understand about what's happening, um, how can we come to some different conclusions uh, using and using an academic approach um, versus just okay, turn to page seventy-two of your work of your textbook and do problems one through six? That's not life. That's that's not life. Yeah, I think what you're saying right now is so powerful and relevant to like having content that's actually relevant and allowing students to learn to share what they're observing and connected to the actual content, I think that's spot on in terms of ways that teachers can help students to navigate. Thanks. I think too, back to the original question of SEL, right? Part of the way forward is learning these tools and competencies, right? Because, you know, I, I completely agree about content, but sometimes these issues become can become overwhelming uh, mm. for people and we can't necessarily think our way through them. Um, thinking has its limits. I think given the magnitude of what we're confronting, it has a place for sure. But, you know, I, I learned this term uh, last year that well-being inspires well-doing. And so if we all work together to support, you know, our, our, our children, our students to develop um, a learnable skill called well-being um, and, and finding goodness in themselves and, and learning tools about how they can process, you know, what's going on on the inside as well as, you know, what's going on as they take the elevator up. If you can connect the elevator of the head to the elevator of the heart, I guess what I'm trying to say, we'll, we'll be better equipped to deal with, you know, continually difficult and problematic issues that we're confronting in our communities. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I just, I'm just going to put myself out there. So, say it, say it, Preeti, say it. First of all, I would like a economics lesson, David. You're recording your classes. Like, can you share some of them? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, again, we're highlighting that the needs are different now, right? And um, we have to parallel process this stuff as adults. So when you ask, how are you helping your kids deal with these divisions? How are you dealing with the divisions? Are you being divisive? Mm. Or are you going out and making connections and, and learning about people who may have thoughts that are different than you? Are you creating communities maybe with parents in your classroom, which, which I'm doing with my daughters? Um, 
so that when they do go to school and a child is not wearing a mask and another child or takes it off or something and another child says something, they the parents aren't going to get into a thing because we care about each other. We know each other already. You know, um, we built you know some of that empathy, and so I think building in we all have to kind of build in that. Uh, value of tolerance and acceptance. Um, my my daughters know, and I've had friends ask me like, are you Democratic? Are you Republican? Like, they don't know, how could you be friends with me and that person? Like, um, because I just, I love listening to different views. And I really, um, usually my girls, they don't know where we stand on issues. because we, we and, and that's why I love debate for kids because especially like public forum debate, they have to debate both sides of an issue. And I think that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, if you hosted a little debate in your house, okay, you're debating this side, you're debating that side, and then you're going to switch. And, and, you know, tomorrow you're debating that side, you're debating that side. So, um, you know, just to, just to help, but everyone's doing their best. Everyone's evolved to be the way that they are and, and, and believe the things that they believe. And um, we all, at the table and we all deserve that safety um and it's it's hard to find those safe spaces where people can talk and so a lot of the big voices um that we hear are maybe the voices that haven't been heard or just no one's listening and really they just need someone to listen mm -hmm. to whatever they believe mm -hmm. i think the complexity of this though is like really acknowledging the systemic oppression part, right? Because some of the things that we see or that we're dealing with are deeply rooted in historic systemic oppression and trying to find ways to make sure that our language of our language reflects that and that we're not we're not accidentally um, supporting students to think that these things are just that way because people are a certain way but helping them to really understand there are systems that are historic and some of them have historically, lots of them, let me retract that. Lots of them have historically oppressed people. And some of the things that are being manifested right now are a direct result of systemic oppression. And I think, you know, just going back to the point I made earlier, if we can demonstrate for our children regularly that we're gonna fight for the system to do right by them, I think that's a, a important piece of acknowledging uh, the systemic oppression part. Because when students go to, to interact with one another or just observe things, they're observing on a surface, they're not understand, they're not observing with a deep historical understanding. And so um, holding that is really important for the adults in their lives. So what are, this is a hard thing because, you know, our, our beliefs and what we understand to be true are very um, ingrained in us and doggone it, we're right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what would you recommend? Because you said that the first step is kind of you um, acknowledging this, acknowledging this as a parent. Um, so what are kind of the, the first steps in, um, in, in doing this for yourself so that you can model this for your kids? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um, 
I think for me, just where we are right now is like talking about essential workers, talking about the number of essential workers in our family, speaking really locally about, you know, what has happened in Oakland, what happens in Oakland, who lives here and what kind of work they do and how that connects historically, um, who's got, you know, and not speaking about it like people have, this is happening to so-and-so or you saw this thing happening to your friend, but I can just frame larger even for my daughter. Lots of people in Oakland are essential workers. They're doing work in grocery stores. They're doing work in hospitals. This is how some of these kinds of people ended up in these positions and thinking about it separate from just, this is what's happening to so-and-so and really stepping out of it and saying, let's talk about the population. Let's talk about who lives in Oakland, the different people that live in Oakland and what kind of jobs that they do and how that makes them more susceptible and vulnerable to, you know, what's happening. And some people want to wear masks, some people don't. Why is it important that we wear them so that we can protect those people who are doing essential work? And I love like the images of, of the heroes and, and just speaking about that really very locally in a way that younger children can understand. And for older children, you can just jump right in, you know, and, and have some of those conversations and let them share some opinions. But I think for our smaller ones, it's about thinking about how can we step out just a little bit, keep it a little bit local, but step out just a little bit so that they don't think this is about individual people and what they have or don't have. But let's, let's think about essential workers. Let's think about, you know, what kinds of work and how does that make that pe make people vulnerable? Let's think about the medical system and things like that. So it's not too much for them, but it's just enough for them to stop looking at each individual person and start thinking about some of the systems, right? And how can we make sure school is a system? How can we make sure that that school that we're enrolled in gave you your tech device? Did I call? Let's call the phone number and let's make sure we got the technology. Let's call the teacher and make sure we know how to log on because we're going to keep asking until we get an answer mm -hmm. because that that's, that's how we're going to engage and push back um, and say to this system that we matter. Yeah. I know for us, um, and Aja, you said it, you have to, you have to kind of um, work in your own context, you know, first. And so we, it, it comes back to what are you doing as a parent? Whenever you're talking about what are you, what are you going to do to help your child? It's what are you doing as a parent to process and understand all of this? And so, um, as I'm doing my work, they're listening, they're listening to me while I'm doing the dishes. I'm listening to, you know, a talk on cast by Equality Labs and I'm sending it to them. Let's listen to this this weekend and talk about it. Um, so I think they're the, the, the kids, they're a part of the processing. Like we're all a unit, especially right now, being in the house together all the time. Um, they do have to kind of do that we, I feel like a lot of that has to be done in the home just because in school, we don't have proper history being taught. Um, my children have not learned about oppression in school um, outside of maybe the equity and inclusion committee. And then it's like this compartmentalized space, you know, separate from regular history. Um, so, 
you know, it's, we have to learn ourselves what really what, what the history is and what, how, how um, all of this manifests in our system and then bring it to our kids. We have to be able to answer their questions. Our kids have questions all the time. My kids have questions all the time about this. Um, so I need to be able to answer them. And if I don't, we need to get on a, a, you know, a little, do a, a scavenger hunt on the internet and find out, you know, what, what is the history of yoga and who, who did develop the caste system and is, 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 you know, anti-blackness a part of the caste system? Like is, or do people in India believe this or that? Um, so we have a lot of those conversations on a micro level in our home. Because uh, we got to do that first, because a, 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 um, a casteist mind system is also a racist mind system, right? And so, just doing that um, walk within these different contexts, I think, within our own culture. Well, social emotional learning is such a rich, deep, wide, broad um, conversation, and we could keep talking forever. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you guys if there are some resources that we can give to parents to help them um, in this area. I mean, I think there are a ton of resources that are available that and many, many wide resources on social media. I look at a lot of the memes uh, and I'm just trying to think about something that's immediately accessible, but we can share some, um, there's some SEL at home tools that came out during COVID that directly relate to all of the social emotional competencies from K to 12 that I can email you. And it was like just act really easy activities that you can do at home with your children. So I'll make sure to email you those. But when you see those memes on your Facebook wall, that are like, can we stop? Can we breathe? Can mm. we exercise? Um, can What's my mommy wellness routine? Pause for a minute, take it in, see what see which one feels real and alive for you. Because a lot of the ones that come across my Facebook are very helpful. I saw one the other day that was like, can I pause? Can I go outside? Can I take a deep breath? Do I need a hug? Can I do a dance? Some of those things are really helpful for just having a little small thing that you can do every day um, to just focus on your own wellness. Um, and then I will share with you, Donita, the uh, SEL at home activities that you can do with your children. Perfect. And we'll have those on our, our website. Go ahead, Pretty. Our, our district has um, activities on their website too. And I think most, most do. Um, I just wanted to say, I think really the number one gift that we can give our kids right now is just our presence. And, um, and I think it's the hardest gift to give. Um, and so teachers, parents, adults, caregivers, um, just I think filling our buckets up so that we can really just be present, just really listen and be there um, without a wall up or without a million other things to do like we have to do right now, I think is, is just the number one thing that we can do. And that's better than any SEL program or anything that we can sit down and explicitly teach them. Mm -hmm. John. Yeah, I completely agree. Mom, dad, um, you know, uh, whatever constitutes the family, um, you know, uh, presence and, and dedicated time matters, um, showing them that 
you know, they're worthy uh, of your attention and time, no matter what is going on and all the different directions you're being um, pulled in. You know, there's a lot of resources, um, Aja mentioned, the Collaborative for Academic, Social and Emotional Learning, CASEL, C-A-S-E-L. Um, they have, you know, tools on their website. Uh, another good place to go is called the Center on the Social and Emotional Foundations for Early Learning um, C-S-E-F-E-L. Uh, they've got some great family tools. There's the Center for Social and Character Development at Rutgers. And then the last resource I'll say is something called EQ um, uh, for families. It's kind of like uh, IQ, but EQ for families. If you Google that, um, you know, there's all kinds of really cool toolkits, but above and beyond those formal things, I, I think pretty nailed it that, you know, it's really all about how you show up uh, and, and how you embody in your own being, uh, you know, well-being and social emotional um, health. So good. And I'll, I'll add one last one. If you have not had the pleasure of watching Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, he has a lot of wisdom put to song um, things that will help you with anger or sadness, <laughs> um, that will stay stick in your mind when you're feeling mad and you want to roar, <laughs> watch some Daniel Tiger's neighborhood is actually very helpful, even for parents. Dave, did you have any last comments? Yeah. You know, uh, uh I am taking on this, uh, mantra of living my best life in quarantine and you know first it's like okay i'm around everybody again today you know and here we go again uh love you baby but sometimes it, it, it's a <laughs> it, you know it, it's a lot all the time and you know and and sometimes you know getting away you know just being away can be a release and they've done your front you you were a little sad when we were coming back to good mom said mom likes her mommy time and now we're all up in her face all the time you since know since march and, yes what since march yes yes yeah, yeah, since yes, march march, march march 13th march, my birthday yes march 13th yes. yes all day every day um but whenever you can you know i would encourage parents just uh, don't don't lose yourself um, in the midst of it, I know it can be easy to do, and I know I've done it, and I know my wife has done it, and our kids have done it. But finding finding those things in your life that um, can help to relieve some of the stress, to get a release. Um, watching your diet, uh, you know what what are you what are you taking in right now? Um, going just going outside, spending time with your family, and spending time with yourself. Um, I know sometimes I felt guilty because there's so much to do and that just sometimes I've just not given myself a break because um, I'm like, I don't have time to take a break, but I need a break sometimes, you know? Uh, and, and so just, just be aware of yourself so that you can be your best self for your kids. Um, they need us right now. Uh, we are uh, guiding them and we are directing them and they're watching everything that we do and say, um, and so we have to be mindful of that uh, so that uh, we can help them to deal with their emotions. But if we're not well, then how are we going to help our kids? So I just want to encourage everybody to you know, lean in, uh, reach out to people, um, check in on people, have people check in on you, um, catch a movie. We just 
finally, finally got Disney Plus. Finally, <laughs> the last family on earth to not have it, but it's awesome. Denise watched Hamilton with eight times now in like four days. I'll watch it again too. Yes, you know, and so, but it's just great, you know, just to just to have a little a moment. I'm, I'm thinking about TikToking. Yeah, get ready, people. I might. Now that we, I think it's going to stay. Is it going to stay? Is no, I don't staying? think so. Mm-mm. Is it going away? Yeah. I don't know, but my daughter's five and she's into the TikTok. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking about being that uh, dancing teacher on TikTok. You know, just to, I love to dance. And you know, just to get that release so then we can, okay, get back. So when your kids come and say, I can't log in, I can't this, <sighs> and, uh, this short with you, but, you know, we, we have, we've had that outlet so we can be our very best for our kids. So that's the last comments I have to say. Watch out for that TikTok too. I think I'm coming before they cut me off. All right, everybody. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but we really appreciate your time today. Bye, everyone. Thank you. So Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Day, so we always want to let you know about what's happening with Noggin. At Noggin, our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families, and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of our commitment to support families by providing access to experts who offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact education. If you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. Your gift will be tax deductible. Head to our website, schooldaysshow.com to give today. Save the date for North Texas Giving Day, which is which is September 17th this year. North Texas Giving Day is an 18-hour giving extravaganza benefiting local nonprofits. Each year, your North Texas Giving Day uh, donations help us with a significant portion of the funding we need to operate our free educational coaching program. This year, with the closure of schools, the education gap for low-income students has widened, and the one-on-one intervention we provide is that much more vital. Our educational coaching program provides private tutoring using teachers who understand the needs of our students. Your support on North Texas Giving Day has an immediate and critical impact on our ability to serve our amazing students. See our website, nogginfoundation.org or schooldazedshow.com for more details and to schedule your gift today. And as always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and for the resources that, that were mentioned here on School Dazed. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but definitely not least, we always want to end the show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on, (laughs) especially now, (laughs) we depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. 
please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.